about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 12 and then skipping over to chapter 3 so that's on page 1201 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 dear friends I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And 3 verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For, who would, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, good evening. Last week we talked about the idea of go deeper. Um, Walking alongside each other in the context of our Christian lives, going deeper with Jesus so that we could go deeper with one another. And as Matt has already mentioned, we're talking tonight about the idea of going public. Um, And to do that, we're going to look at 1 Peter, just briefly to kind of give us a frame for thinking about this idea of going public. Now, if you're familiar with 1 Peter, you'll know that uh, it's written to a group of Christians in Asia Minor. Um, There's some conjecture as to what they're facing. Maybe it's Nero's terrible regime. Um, They're certainly under uh, under persecution. Uh, It's a very difficult time for them. And Peter writes into this context, and he tells them, actually, even though your context is really, really difficult, I want you to go public. Come with me as we look at this passage together. Um, We're just going to go through it fairly briefly, but we're going to think about some of the things he raises with us this evening. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we hear him describing the church. He says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
Uh, those are, are beautiful terms, aren't they? Uh, for those listening to them, they would have rung true in terms of Old Testament categories. Uh, it would be reminding those people who hear that God has been faithful over many, many generations. That he chose a people for himself. That he set apart a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that they were God's special possession. Uh, we know that these people are special, that God has chosen them because of what God's done in order to win them over. He sent his son, Jesus, to die in their place. So precious are those people who were gathered in Asia Minor. He loves them so deeply that he's been prepared to see his own son die on a cross. They're chosen people. They're a royal priesthood. They're a holy nation. And they're God's special possession. Now that means something, and we could un spend days unpacking all the, the bits and pieces that go with this, but one of the other things that he points out is that being God's special possession, being God's holy nation, means that there are like foreigners and sojourners. Uh, you might not see that exact translation uh, in front of you, but it's the one I prefer at this point because I think it helps us describe exactly what's going on. As God's people, they are foreigners and sojourners. Uh, the idea is they're a bit like refugees and sojourners kind of harks back to Moses uh, when he didn't have any land or any place to be. It's the concept of just travelling through no place to really call your home. And the reason Peter's pointing this out is because they're God's chosen people. And their inheritance is in heaven where it won't perish, spoil or fade, we read in chapter 1. And so they're living here, but their real home is actually somewhere else. They're kind of, if you like, between two worlds. They're foreigners and sojourners. Um, I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it with you again because it just rings so true for me. Some of you will know I grew up overseas in Malaysia until I was about 15 years old. Um, where we lived, my brother and I were the only white kids for about 200 kilometres. Um, we loved living there. We loved Malaysia. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. And of course, we felt quite Malaysian. <laughs> but if you saw us, we didn't look particularly Malaysian. When I was 15, we returned home to Australia. And everyone just immediately assumed, because of the way I looked, that I was a fair dinkum Aussie. But at that time, I didn't feel like an Aussie at all. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand the culture of the playground or what people were doing and why they were doing it. It took me ages to start to unpack exactly what was going on. And then subsequently, I've been back to Malaysia. You know what I've discovered over time is I actually don't feel home, at home in either place. I'm still not quite sure that I'm completely Aussie. And certainly when I return to Malaysia, I feel like, wow, this is wonderful. But actually, there's all those kind of same things still going on. 
Now, of course, there's been some challenges about that, but I actually think it's a great gift. Because for me, it's reminded me that my home is not here. That I'm just passing through. Now, it's interesting to see how people have responded to this um, throughout history. Some people have emphasized the idea of being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, and so they've become that holy nation. And they've taken over cities and states and they defended the Christian name and they've become big and powerful. And we see that particularly in the 15th century, for example, where the church was very, very dominant. On the other hand, sometimes people have responded and said, well, actually, no, we're more like foreigners and sojourners, so we'll go away and hide. Because this world doesn't really matter that much. We're just a passing through. We don't have to actually engage this world. But that's not Peter's point at all. His point is, go public. See there? Why are you a holy nation? Why are you a God's special possession? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may sing the praises of God. Now what 1 Peter is referring to here is Psalm 96. Uh, we heard read it a little bit earlier. It was a psalm that the people of Israel sang together. And it was a psalm that reminded them that they were to be a light to the nations. That they had a place in God's plan for the rest of this world. And so Peter is reminding these persecuted Christians that they too have a place in this world. That they're God's special possession. They are foreigners and sojourners. But they're there with a purpose. And their purpose is to declare the praises of him who has called them out of darkness into their wonderful light, into his wonderful light. Peter then goes on to describe exactly what that means. Talks about what does it actually mean to go public. And if you look at the passage, you'll see, sorry, if you look at the passage, whoa, we're all over the place. If you look at the passage, uh, you'll see that he starts to talk about uh, the authorities of the state, workplaces, marriages. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. Um, interestingly, if you think about our Colossian series, it's kind of the similar pattern that is unpacked here as well. But what I want to notice is two kinds of things that he says that actually influence all these kinds of relationships. And the first one is this. The first is that as people who sing God's praises, we are to live good lives. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, good lives equating to good deeds, and glorify God on the day he visits. And then a lot later on in the passage in chapter 3, we read, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Having a public faith, going public, means doing good deeds. I want to think about that a little bit more. What does that actually mean? How does that actually work? Well, if we look at the context, Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and sojourners to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. What we see here is actually a yes and a no. 
There's some things we're called not to do and some things that we are called to do if we're going to live our lives as good lives, good de- with good deeds. And I think it's really interesting what he has to say about abstaining from sinful desires. Uh, earlier on in chapter 2, we read at the beginning of the chapter the kinds of desires he probably has in mind. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Rid yourself of those things. Now, the truth is things like uh, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy often hide other things. They often hide things that we are desiring, things like approval or wealth or power. The reason you might lie is because you want something so if you lie, you, you think you might get it. The reason you envy is because you think if you have that thing or that person, your life will be better. These are desires that have gone awry and they lead to behaviours which are inconsistent with someone who's following Jesus. What I think is so interesting about this is that those sinful desires actually wage war against your soul. The reason Christians are interested in what happens to our desires and whether our desires take us in the wrong direction is because if they do take us in the wrong direction, they destroy our soul. Our soul is at war. And so sometimes Christians can sound a bit arrogant and a bit rude in the way that they call people to account in terms of their behaviour. They shouldn't because we're affected by these desires as well. And this applies to me. But often the reason Christians are bringing attention to certain kinds of behaviour is because of a deep concern and a deep care for another person that their desires are actually destroying. Their over-desires are destroying their souls. Their souls are at war. As I mentioned, there's kind of a no side and then there's a yes side. And Peter says, live such good lives amongst the pagan that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. Um, I think another way of talking about this is beautiful lives. Think for a moment. Think about your, uh, when, when you, your funeral. Sorry to take you there, but think about your funeral. Imagine if someone got up and said, I know them. They lived a beautiful life. Their life was full of good deeds. That's the way you would describe them. They had a beautiful life. Not describing how great it was but how wonderful it had been to see them serve others in good deeds in so many different ways. Now, that's kind of thinking, of course, transformed whole cultures and whole societies. In fact, the reason we can sit here today like we are is because people did this and people have continued to do this over many, many years. Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise to Christianity, points out that the Christian influence changed whole cultures 
In, in cities where there were homeless and impoverished people, charity was there as a well of hope. Before that, people weren't looked after. Newcomers and strangers were offered a basis for attachment. Very often that people would go into their cities, uh, they didn't have hotels, if you didn't know somewhere, someone, you just kind of were left. Christians welcomed strangers into their homes. Orphans and widows uh, were welcomed into families of churches where they had a new family. Those who were involved in ethnic strife found a new identity with other Christians who came from all kinds of different backgrounds. And when there was epidemics and fires and earthquakes, Christians were very often out in the streets caring for those around them. Sometimes even subjecting themselves to the plagues in order to rescue others. They were determined to do good deeds. To live a good life. And they transformed the whole of this world. Now this has led some people to notice this and to say, well, actually, that's great. Christians should just do good works and should just do those things all the time. Um, I want to be a bit gentle here. You may have heard this phrase and I want to be careful about how I talk about this because I know some people really hold on to this phrase. But I don't know whether you've ever heard this phrase. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Some of you may have heard that phrase before. It's often attributed to Francis of Assisi. And as a way of saying, well, all you have to do is good works and you'll be fine. Uh, Fact check, bit of a problem. He didn't say it. In fact, there's a greater problem than that. He was known as a preacher. He often preached in villages five times in a day is to stand on this straw bale in public. And he was described as a strange but fiery little preacher. Now he did care for the poor and he did have an interest in animals and so you do see him with animals surrounding him. But even there, the reason he's standing with animals is because he's preaching to them. I'm sorry, that phrase just doesn't all work. I understand the sentiment and I understand what's going on. But the reality is, good works and speaking about Jesus are not separate things. I don't know why we've got that into our heads. It just doesn't make sense. If you're going to offer people hope and care for them, wouldn't you want to offer them the greatest hope of all? To know Jesus? To know that he's rescued them? Wouldn't you want to offer that as well? Why would you just want to offer people physical help? You want to offer them much, much more than that. And so, 1 Peter picks that thought up. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord in in response to what God has done, in the fact that he's the Lord, Lord of your life. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
the role of speaking with your good works is self-evident. Are we here? It also happening in Colossians. Be wise in the way you work, uh, act towards out, uh, outsiders. Notice, act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that, everyone, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The truth is that when we're doing good things with people, when we're with people in relationship, talking about Jesus is a really natural thing to do. And I want to take it a step further and say, why not initiate some conversations as well? I want to share with you a really daggy one that I had this week. Okay, this, you know, I try to look for opportunities all the time, but this one feels a bit like a dad joke, but it, it, it actually worked. So we had a guy come in, and he's a French polisher, and he's looking at uh, uh, fixing up some of the wood around here, and uh, obviously a craftsman, you know, very, very gifted in what he's doing. And uh, we had a good conversation. We talked about all kinds of different things. And uh, anyway, as we're sort of walking around the place, he said to me, you must really love your job. And I said, I do. It's fantastic. It's just, I can't believe that God's called me to do this. And I said to him, you must really love your job. And he said, yeah, I really love my job. I love taking old things and seeing them become new. And I said, ah, we do something similar, you know. And so I started talking to him about old things becoming new. And within minutes, we were into a conversation about his Jewish friends and all kinds of different things that were happening. Now, I know that's a bit daggy, but I was looking for an opportunity. I was looking for a way to say, how can we take this beyond just this conversation about wood? Doing good and conversations should just be natural parts of our lives. Just what it means to be a Christian is... There's no, I don't know, it completely confuses me that people would say that being a Christian should be a private thing. It just doesn't make any sense at all, particularly when you understand what the Bible has to say about these things. It's about being public. Now, I get it. It's challenging. It's not easy, and some of you are in very difficult contexts where this happens. I was re- I've been recently reading a book called A Failure of Nerve, uh, it's a fascinating book because it's looking at our society and looking at Christians and looking at Christian leaders. And one of its th- suggestions is that leaders, Christian leaders and Christians in general, have lost their nerve. Um, he points out that we live in a chronically anxious society. Uh, and now I understand that some people feel chronically anxious and, uh, and I'll, I want to suggest, you know, we want to support people who are in that position and if you are, please make sure you get support and help. But it's interesting that he's reflecting that this is a a, a mode for society. Anxious about what's happening. Anxious about what's taking place. And I want to suggest to you that what I've observed in churches is sometimes we get a bit anxious too. Anxious of what people will think. Anxious of who we are. Anxious about what we're saying. And, of course, what happens when you're anxious is you look for safety. And so we have a society that's orientated towards safety rather than adventure. Uh, We see this terribly played out in the refugee situation, don't we? 
There are many of us who are deeply concerned about what's taking place. But we're an anxious society and the politicians have picked up on that. And they know we want safety rather than adventure. And so they keep playing that card over and over again. That's why we can't get past it. Despite all the protests, we're living in a chronically anxious society, which then makes us chronically anxious as well. The result is often we blame other people for our behaviour. We don't take personal responsibility for the way we are. Uh, we say, it's other people's fault. They made me do it. It's my circumstances that made me act this way. And what it means is, because people around us are anxious, because we become anxious, we're not public about our faith. Or at least we struggle to be. And it's a challenge, isn't it? It's extremely difficult to be public about your faith when you're feeling such great anxiety about what is going on. Well, the people of 1 Peter certainly knew all about this. I don't think we're going to face what they faced. Uh, some of them were being martyred for their faith. There are Christians around the world facing this uh, more significantly than we probably ever will. Uh, just last year, it's actually been a year since I, I observed this, when I was in Malaysia, um, the church that I was visiting um, was just talking about a Malaysian pastor who, in the week before, had been kidnapped. They had footage of what had happened. Uh, the police had been called in. Um, and even though they've been able to solve many other different crimes, and the police force there has been very good, they have not found this pastor. And this week, I watched um, his family speak about the trauma that that's brought to them as a family as they, they don't know where he is. They don't even know whether he's alive. And it's because he was public about his faith. He was caring for some of the most marginalised and poor in KL. Now, I'm not sure we're going to be facing things in the same way, but I get it. We get nervous and it's difficult and maybe some of us will lose a job. Maybe some of us will be shamed by friends and family. There are some real things here and I get that that's difficult. So what, what, does, what does Peter say? What does Peter say about this? Well, he points us back to Jesus. He says, first of all, you will suffer. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Guess what? To this you were called. You were called God's chosen people. You were called God's uh, possession. But you're also called to suffering. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Committing to Jesus means following him. Peter reminds us that he committed no sin and there was no deceit found in his mouth. Sometimes we suffer because we do dumb things. But Jesus did nothing dumb. He did everything right. And even though he did everything correctly, spoke correctly, lived correctly, they held insults at him. 
and he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. And then listen to this. Jesus goes to the cross and does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we will have wounds, but by his wounds we have been healed. That's the promise. And he reminds us that, yes, we were once like sheep. And he's the great shepherd and the overseer of our souls. He will be watching over us in the midst of all that we face. He's gone before us. He's done what we could not do. He's called us his own. And he empowers us to follow in his footsteps because we cannot do it by ourselves. We're called to go public. Now, the exciting thing is there are lots of people going public. I love this church. There's a lot of good things happening uh, with going public. Um, I just think of the bike shed, We Belong, Community Garden, Room for Many. Uh, These are all just really exciting opportunities for us to be doing good in our community, uh, to be engaging people, to be talking to people about Jesus, to live life with people. I hear of people meeting up together. Just today I heard of um, some people who meet every Monday night for a meal and just invite anyone they find on the street uh, in. Beautiful, wonderful, uh, great to hear. I also hear of other individuals doing things within our church as well, which are going public. I think of Aki, who's um, working amongst some Muslims, and he's discussing the Quran with them fairly regularly and thinking about how, well, actually, they share some things in common. I think about um, Kelly, who uh, belongs to a Frisbee team. And uh, I was going to say club or something, but uh, yeah, I think it's a team, isn't it? Where you throw a Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee. Um, She's been building relationships there over many, many months and now she's being invited to people's homes as she shares with them the love of Jesus. I think of Emily, who uh, is one of our scripture teachers. She spends many hours in the playground uh, just talking to other mums and talking to other kids and every week she comes to a Bible study group and she says, can you pray for this conversation because we're talking about Jesus? I think of Frank. Frank comes to our morning service. Uh, Frank is a good description of him, actually. He's frank about everything. He hardly says boo. Um, And he's an engineer and he works with trains and you wouldn't believe that he could say anything, but discovered, actually, that he has eight programs on Radio National exploring science and he's looking for ways to inject things about God and philosophy that help people to think. Would you believe that? That's, That's amazing. I think of Peg. He's a builder. Peg's great fun. Um, Peg, on his site, if he finds that uh, other tradesmen are coming on board um, onto his site and they're talking about women, uh, their wives or their girlfriends, in derogatory ways, he just asks them to leave. We're not going to have this on my site. And then all over Sydney, there are... Concrete slabs. He lays concrete slabs while he's building. And in one of the corners of the concrete slabs, he writes 1 John 4.19. 
which is, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And people said to him, what's that? What's that about? And he says, oh, I can tell you. And all of a sudden, he's into this conversation. It's just crazy. It's wonderful. And then I know of one other guy, and you might know him too as well, a guy called Sam. He's in a work situation which is pretty difficult. Um, my understanding of the situation is that at night time, uh, when they do night shifts, a whole lot of people kind of fall asleep, basically, and there's a whole lot of people covering uh, for that particular situation. Well, he's decided that actually that's not the way to live a beautiful life, to do good deeds, because if you're paid to work, you're paid to work and you should do what you're called to do. That's ethical, that's honest. And so he works the night shift. Well, this has caused no end of problem for him because his mates and the management and those who have been hiding these things don't want him to work. What are you doing, mate? And of course, as you do good works, people start to say, why? And then, of course, Sam has the great opportunity just to say, well, I'll tell you why. It's about Jesus. I follow him first. I'm accountable to him. I'm going to live a good life. And I want to tell you about Jesus. Now I reckon each one of us could go public. And each one of us could do things in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, where we go public. Now I, I get it, it's challenging, it's difficult, and we've got to think about ways of doing that. And that's why we need to go deeper with one another, because we actually need each other's support in doing this. We need other guys' ideas, other guys' prayers, other guys' thoughts as we think about how to go public. But we as a church are also going to do some things as we think about this coming year in terms of supporting us as we go public. And so I just want to think about some of the next steps in the future. First of all, we're going deeper to support one another. We're going to do an Acts series because that's about the church expanding and thinking about how it goes public. We're going to do some training in small groups. Um, we're having a training day with a guy called Glenn Scrivener. Uh, some of you might have seen him online. He's actually originally from Canberra, uh, but he now works in the UK. Um, and he produces all these amazing videos that are really great uh, witnesses. He runs the 3 one course that we did a number of years ago. Um, we've invited him. He happens to be in Australia. We said, come and run a training day for us. He said, yeah, sure, uh, which is really exciting. We're actually going to invite some other churches to that as well because we think it's so exciting. But then later on in the day, he's agreed to spend a week with us um, and be the person who talks at various events throughout that week. And so we as a church are going to get together and work out how, how are we going to do that, what are we going to do, put some things in place, um, and great opportunity to be working from here to there in terms to invite friends and family to a number of different things where they'll hear the message of Jesus. But I guess the main thing I wanted to finish with tonight as we think about this Go Public is I want to invite you to take responsibility for your own Christian life under God's hand and in God's grace and be brave. Be brave where you are and go public.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.